You already know where this is going, right, Caleb? Going to say, Brother Peacock broke the pulpit. I already know where my friends are. You know, you can tell a lot about a church. The old preacher used to say, and you'll hear me talk about him on a regular basis because he helped me. And uh, he helped me a lot. Not because I'm special. I have no idea really why, but he did. And I think honor to whom honor is due. My dad helped me a lot. My dad and I had a great relationship together. And uh, he was my dad always, but he became a very dear friend of mine. Left at 64 years of age. Still a little upset with him about that. But, but the, the singing here is remarkable. And when you move to a bigger place, and by the way, you need a bigger place for whatever that's worth. You, you can't, you, 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 sardines don't live long in a can like this. You're going to have to pony up and you're going to have to do something. There ain't no more walls to bust out. So just saying. Matthew chapter 14. I do appreciate the singing very much. I appreciate the hospitality, the kindness. There's just a good spirit. Uh, the kindness, you walk in the door, you get spoken to by people that you don't know. Brother, it's nice to meet you from wherever you've been, listening to whatever you've been listening to. I'll be praying for you. That's... No wonder you haven't run off the road or had to pull off the throw up or whatever, but it's very, very kind of you in all sincerity, and I appreciate the kindness and what you had to say. I, I would like to say this. Your church has that hospitable feeling, and uh, that speaks well of your pastor and his wife, but also of you. That means that Jesus has done something for you, and you don't mind extending that to other people. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes we hear a lot of preaching about Christian hemorrhoids, and there are Christian hemorrhoids. You all know them. I hope you're not one of them. Yes. Uh, if, we, if you are, it doesn't take long to distinguish you. Hemorrhoids, you know, they always show up at the wrong time, always at the wrong place. They burn and itch until you give them all the attention that they want, and then they leave without even saying goodbye. Right? You probably have never known anybody like that, so it's in the Bible. They're called hemorrhoids. Right, but I don't tell everybody that because then that's going to be this. Oh, I got emeralds too. You know, it's not something to be proud of, and it's not something you announce publicly. But oftentimes, one of the things that we forget is is that we're still, as your preacher said earlier, the flesh isn't saved yet. And sometimes when people get saved, as we talked about last night, we have a propensity to expect more out of them than we do even out of ourselves because we don't realize however long they've been lost, it takes a long time to get them after their soul is saved to kind of get some of those old marks off. And can I say this to you? Sometimes some of the marks they have on them, they remain with them for the rest of their life. They may be working on them, but they may struggle with that until the rest of their life is completely over with. You have to sort of help them where you can help them, but if you hold the bar too high where they're unable to obtain any success whatsoever, you know what, they're still saved, but they'll go to heaven from a gutter somewhere instead of from a church pew. As long as they're here, you can still help them. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, just today and I just made a, a mention of the fact that I had said something at a service one time, probably different than a Baptist preacher, but I don't care if people come to church and fall asleep. Uh, number one, the reason is, is probably because I'm boring, uh, but, but, 
really. I mean, probably it's a snooze fest. I get that. Maybe they had a hard day. Maybe they had a long day. Maybe it's the only time that they feel like that they can finally feel at peace. I don't know what's going on at home in their house. I don't know what's happening in their life. And they walk in and they feel so peaceful they fall asleep. But here's the thing you might not know. Even though they may be asleep, their soul is still getting fed. And the soul is what needs to get the food. So if they come into church and go to sleep, a lot of times we have kids. That's the way they begin to learn how to sit in church. They last for me about maybe past the introduction and they're done. <laughs> right? And it doesn't matter. I can scream and yell or run across a pew or something like that. They don't even wake up for anything. Right? That kind of a deal. But you'd be surprised how after a period of time they stay awake a little longer and then a little bit longer. They learn how to behave in church and those kind of things. And then before long they're listening. And yeah, they a lot of times they get on the floor and they're coloring and things like that. And then you'll hear them like they're in a dead spot. Not many of those in my services, but there'll be a little dead spot there when I stop talking for just a second. That's okay, you can laugh. <laughs> it won't be much more than a second. I'm like the lady who they said she talked so much she had actually melanoma on, melatonin, melatonin, melanoma on her tongue from talking so much she hung out at the beach. and You heard about the lady that wound up going to the hot dog contest and she ate like 40 hot dogs in, in 10 minutes. And the most remarkable thing was is that she had been quiet for 10 minutes. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> But a lot of times what the kids do is they begin to draw stories and different things like that and, and they begin to pick up on things. So church ought to be a place where every time people come in here, they've done the best they can to get here from work. Their minds are divided. You don't know what's in their saddlebags. You don't know what they overcame to get here. You don't even know what they're struggling with at the time that they come here. And sometimes the message will be something that will help them either then, maybe sometime later. But the fact is they made it. So you did good, you made it. You encouraged an old man because you came on a Tuesday night when you got a bajillion other legitimate things that you could do and you decided to say, you know what, I'm going to pull over and park from about 6.30 or 5.30 whenever you left to get here in the traffic and all until whatever we're done through here tonight and I really appreciate it. It's an encouragement to me and it's great to know that the Western Front's still holding strong and you just have a good spirit about you but you need a bigger place. So anyway, we'll talk about that maybe later. All right, Matthew chapter number 14. Would you like to stand? I've been sitting for just a little while. Just going to read you a couple of passages. Maybe try to, in sort of storybook form, uh, put a couple of things out for you tonight that I hope will be uh, a help to you. Maybe not shocking to all of you, but if you're newly saved, now that you're saved, your problems are not over. Now, you have somebody that's with you that will always be with you and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. But doesn't it feel like he's sometimes asleep in the boat? I mean, come on, every now and then, don't you feel like the very one that got me into this storm is in the boat with me, but he doesn't care I'm in the storm, he's asleep in the storm. And he doesn't care that I perish. Well, here's a similar story to that. I'll come back to that in just a minute. And this is a story in Matthew chapter number 14. And the Bible says this in verse 22. This is after the feeding of the 5,000 and after some terrible things that happened there. You got the death of preaching there in the first few verses there in 1 to about 14. That's John the Baptist getting his head cut off because Mama went to the daughter and had a, a, a plan made out. And you can read the story on your own, but the bottom line is it was all to shut up the mouth of the preacher. Notice there's a famine after that. 
the famine comes. The Bible says there's a famine in the last days, not of preaching the word of God, but hearers of the word of God. And that's a kind of maybe something prophetic that you wind up seeing that'll happen in the last days. There's distractions along the way. Hey, Lord, your uh, cousin there, he died. We're going to have a funeral. The Lord's like, I don't have time. I have people I have to feed to take care of that. But now you come down to a part here that we can all grab a hold of that'll do something for us. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now tossed in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, and the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them running on the sea, flying on the sea, hurrying on the sea, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him, walking on the sea, they were troubled saying it is a spirit and they cried out for fear. Now can I say this to you? Look at the Lord's response. Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. But you know what happens when you read the parallel passage? The Bible said the Lord would have passed them by. Be of good cheer, it is I. Don't be afraid. But the Bible said one of them cried out and said, Lord, I need some help. Brother Caleb, you pray. Would you please ask the Lord to help us and we'll be seated, all right? Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me show you just a couple of things here that I think you'll find maybe somewhat interesting. In this particular story right here, they are in the perfect will of God. Would you agree with me? They've been there with the Lord. He's fed 5,000. Barley loaves and fishes have been broken up there by the five barley loaves and fishes given by the little lad. There's 5,000 men that are there, not counting the women and children. And they've seen the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And so now all of a sudden they come in and they're talking to God and Lord of Jesus Christ. They're one and the same there. All human, but all God. I, that's 100% correct. And so he comes in and he says to him, he says, hey boys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in that boat right there and I want you to row over to that shore right there and I'll meet you on the other side. I'm going to go support you in prayer. I'm going to go up in the mountain apart to pray. I'll see you on the other side. Tell me in that passage where are they out of the will of God. Tell me in the passage where they were disobedient. Tell me where in the passage they had done something and God, as we say in the south, was a whooping them. Right? Because isn't what we do sometimes when somebody's in trouble, we automatically default to, oh, what did you do now? Well, you must be reaping what you sowed. You know, you must have messed up. God's whooping you. All storms are not because somebody in the boat did something wrong. Some storms are done so that God can get glory. Do you remember the story about Lazarus? You remember that particular story? It's a great story in the Bible. But in John chapter number 11, they come to the Lord and they say an unusual thing. They say, Lord, your friend Lazarus is sick. And the Lord said, yeah, okay, that's fine. And he said, no, Lord, like he's sick unto death. He said, no, he's not sick unto death. He's not going to die because he's sick. He's going to die to give glory to the Lord. Well, I don't know, maybe he could like let that pass. I mean, he's going to go ahead and die so God can get glory, but still he's going to wind up dying. You know what happens? The Lord says, uh, you know what, we're going to love it a little while. You know what he does? He waits four days. 
And by the time they come back, he stops in the middle of that four days. On the third day, you know what he says? Lazarus is sleeping. The disciples say, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's doing good. It's good to get a nap every now and then. It's good to sleep when you can sleep. Sleep is a great escape. Can I say that to you? You need, no, really. You, don't, you can't get drunk anymore. That's illegal. That's wrong. You can't get high unless you've got some kind of pain. The doctor gave you medicine, but there's a limit to that time where you can't be using pills all the time. But you know what happens? God gave you sleep. You say, why? To kick you out of gear for a while. It's not just to restore. It's to give that pumpkin head of yours a chance to get a break, to be able to say, hey, man, I need to get away. And guess what? It's legal. Our problem nowadays is there's too many things that cause us to be sleep deprived. In the CIA, well, let me just say this. In one of the manuals that they have to do with learning to get, obtain information, do you know one of the most effective ways to obtain unknown information from somebody? The first thing they do, and it's called torture. It doesn't sound like much, but it's called torture. You know what it is? It's called sleep deprivation. You go without sleep, you go, you're as crazy as a sprayed roach, man. I mean, you are going bonkers. What's wrong with you? You just need some sleep. Sometimes, you know what you need? You just need to get a nap, right? You get up on the wrong side of the bed, go back and sleep for another 15 or 20 minutes and get up on the other side of the bed. But some of you, you got to realize, turn off the TV. Don't be watching the news at nighttime. Go to bed a little bit early. You'd be surprised what sleep will do to you. When people are sick, you know what they do? They stick them in a hospital bed, and if they have to, they sedate them so they sleep because they understand sleeping causes restoration. You'd be surprised how often when you're overly anxious and you're overly concerned and you're overly bothered that if you can just get some sleep, it gives you a fresher perspective of things. So it's important to know, and the disciples say, not a wrong way. Lord, if he sleeps, that's a good thing. And the Lord said, yeah, we're not talking about that kind of sleep. He's dead. But here's the odd thing in the passage. You know what he says? He said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad that I, for your sakes, I was not there. You're letting that sink. God said, it's good that I wasn't there when he died. Because if he'd have been there, he wouldn't have died because nobody died in the Lord's presence. So he says, it's good that I wasn't there. He said, why? Because they had some things to learn. We can maybe come back to that in a little while, but you know what happens? What happens here in this passage is they're in the perfect will of God. Some storms are for the benefit of other people. Remember the storm in Mark chapter 4? Do you remember the Lord is on the boat with them? The very one that God told him to get in the boat was in the boat with him, and now he's asleep in the midst of the storm. Don't tell me sometimes you don't feel like I'm in this storm because God put me in the storm. And don't tell me that you're like, you know, I know how hypocrites are sometime in the church. I understand that. I've been around them all my life. And so I understand that what they'll generally tell you is, oh, them boys should have just trusted Jesus. Not me. I'd have been waking up Jesus too. I'd have been like, look, you told me to get on the boat. You got on the boat with me, and I appreciate that. But right now, water is coming in. The wind is boisterous. The waves are about to sink us. And I know I'm supposed to be trusting you, but I'm like, wake up so I can at least be talking to you while I'm drowning. <laughs> now, you might not be there. But you're like, oh, no, not me, not me. I'm going to be like, hang. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm going to be knocking and knocking and knocking. I leave that Bible says, have not because you ask not. I'm going to keep asking and keep knocking until he's like, good night. Man, what do you want? Wake up, please. You know, I don't care if he rebukes me. At least he's talking to me. Right? And so, so then all of a sudden, the ship calms down. And guess what happens? It docks. And guess what happens? He helps the demon-possessed man 
because the storm was actually taking them where somebody needed help. See, all storms are not because you've done something wrong. Could I help you with just something tonight for a little while? Some of you are a little too hard on yourself. Some of you are constantly reminding yourself of that past that haunts you. I know it's Halloween time, but in a Baptist church, it's Halloween all the time. You know why I know? Because everybody wears a mask all the time. You never are who you really are, you know what I'm saying? It's who you want everybody. You get that from Facebook. Yeah. We, you, know who, you know the guy Zuckerberg that put that together? You know where he got the idea? He attended an independent Baptist church. He knew if he could get people enamored with other people's business that it would be a hit. He's made billions of dollars off of what we've known for a long time, right? But can I just say this to you? Some of you need to learn to allow the Lord to forgive you. Could I pause there for a moment? It'll only make the sermon another couple minutes longer, but this is a real important thing. When the Lord Jesus Christ said that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, what part of all don't you understand? I realize there are certain people that are never let you off the mat. I understand that. I also understand that there are repercussions for our actions and responsibility for those actions. But you don't have to be around people that are constantly reminding you of everything that you've done in your past. And you need to also not just remind them that the Lord has forgiven. You put it as far as the east is from the west, depths of the sea, put it behind his back, remembers it more. I call it the doctrine of the eraser. You know that when the little kid is up there talking to the professor and, you know, what did he do this? And she writes all the sins up there. Well, what does he do with them now? She erases them. Well, where are the sins now? He says to the, to the little girl. The little girl said, they're in the eraser. Yes. <laughs> they're in Jesus. Yes. Right. And you can knock them out and guess what? They don't come back out in written form. You can't tell what it is. You know what? If he forgave you, stop publicizing it. Stop telling everybody what you did, where you were, who you used to be, and all that other kind of stuff. Hey, listen, man. Thank you to God for covering you up and helping you up. But now can I say this to you? Let yourself up. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, over on the right-hand side of the page in the right-hand column, the Apostle Paul says this about that. He says, listen, uh, to whom you forgive, I forgive also. Lest Satan should get an advantage. That's it. Lest Satan should get an advantage, thank you, uh, get an advantage of you. Why? We're not ignorant of his devices. What devices? We're talking about forgiveness. Yes. It's not just forgiveness of one another. It's forgiveness of yourself. Stop using that as a landing place to say, well, I can't do anything because of what I did. Then we learned last night, just do what you can do. There's no pressure on you. You don't have to keep reminding yourself of the mistakes you made. Listen, God uses fouled up people. Yes, I mean, listen, he uses people that are nothing better than a soup sandwich and the Lord looks down there, you can run through the Bible, look at the people in the Bible and the people he picks, they're not really the pick of the litter. And yet he uses those people. If he uses them, he'll use you. He's just looking for willing people. But for the Lord's sake, as, my, as that old woman, Miss Penny, used to say, for the Lord's sake, preacher, she'd say, for the Lord's sake, let the Lord forgive you. Stop carrying a burden that he has already taken from you at Calvary. And so guess what happens? These boys, they wind up getting in the boat and they're rowing over there. And I don't know what they're talking about, but they're rowing to the other side. They're probably talking about how many fishes were there and how many barley loaves were there and how they kept multiplying and growing back out and multiplying and growing back out. You say it couldn't have grown back out. How did he take five barley loaves and two fishes and feed over 5,000 people if they didn't keep growing? 
they'd break it off and it'd grow back and break it off and grow back and break it off and grow back. I mean, he put the end to the food crisis. And so all of a sudden, they pass that out. I don't know. They're, man, Jesus did it again. That was amazing. That was unbelievable. Yeah, Peter said, I guess Jesus thinks we can handle the ministry on our own now. You know, last time we was in the boat, you know, uh, uh, he was with us in the boat, but he told us to go to the other side. I guess he's trusting us with the ministry on our own now. We're, we're, we're on our own, you know. And they set sail. And until they get to the midst of the water where they're at, in the midst of the sea, they're as close to the other side as they are to the side they came from. The storm starts. Okay, now here's a question for you. It's really not that difficult, but I just want to kind of remind you, are they in God's will being in that boat? Are they going where God told them to go? Who caused the storm? Who knew... The storm was coming. Why in the cat here did he wait until they got right in the middle? Because there's the choice. You've gotten far enough that you can see the other side and then all of a sudden the storm comes up and the natural tendency, our propensity is, is the easy way. Put the oars in the boat and let the water, let the wind blow us back to where we came from because we just quit running. You say, why? The Bible says the wind was contrary. That means it was opposite them. That means there was actually a struggle in the will of God. You will find the pathway to God is lined with minefields. There is opposition that's there. Paul said, I press toward the mark and the high calling of God. Why? There's pressure, there's opposition that is trying to prevent you from getting to where God wants you to be. And sometimes it's the Lord. The Lord's checking your metal. The Lord's testing you out to see. Will you quit when it gets rough? you quit when it gets difficult? That Bible said that when he went to Gethsemane, that he said, is there not any way this can pass? No, there is not. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I would say it was a rough road, wouldn't you? I'd say it was a difficult pathway, wouldn't you? I'd say that the whip and the hammer and the nails hurt him, wouldn't you? I'd say having his beard plucked and his hair pulled and being spat upon. I'd say it was difficult. You say, what did he do? He kept going. He's right in the middle. He's the cross, the man in the middle, and he keeps right on going. He keeps rowing. And guess what? The Lord's up there looking down at him going, what are you going to do now? And I think the Lord's up there watching and praying. He's got one eye on God and one eye down on them. And he keeps looking up like that, and he's saying, now, Lord, be with him and be with him. He said, look at him down there, Lord. They're, they're still rowing. Ain't that something? Now, Father, you're probably going to hear Peter saying some things here in a minute now. <laughs> If you could just give him a little extra grace here because I know how he's going to be. He'll have a tendency to sort of curse and swear, but I'm working on that. Just give him a little bit of time and then all of a sudden Peter lets out a blue streak and the Lord's like, oh, Peter, come on, man. You know, put your back into it, boys, and they keep on going. It's interesting to me that there's certain things in your Bible that the Lord puts there that are salient or they stand out, they jump off, they extend, extrude from the passage and it jumps out and says they're in the midst of the sea. Why? There's a choice that has to be made. What are you going to do? Only sail when it's good, smooth sailing? When the waves are going the way you want them to go? Or are you going to just continue to do what God wants me to do? Because what? Every now and then, guess what? It's difficult. I wish I could tell you otherwise. Well, they get out there and guess what happens? The Lord sees fit to come down there into the sea. And he's walking on the water. And the Bible said he would have passed them by, but one of them cried out. He said, don't be afraid, it's me, I, I'm the Lord. Now here's the odd thing, and here's basically the meat of the message. The first time he was in the boat with them, and they woke him up and he calmed the sea. 
The first time he called Peter away from the boat was when he was using that boat for commerce and that was his fishing. So he called him away from what he depended on and said, depend on me and I'll make you fishers of men. You remember the story, right? And so he calls him away from being a commercial fisherman. The next time he's in the boat there with him and now all of a sudden you know what he's saying to you? Listen, have you ever forgotten? I put you in the boat. I'm going to take care of you while I'm in the boat. But this time it's different. This time the Lord's not with him in the boat. And the Lord is fixing to tell him to walk away from the boat. But what he's walking away from is not the hard ground that he walked away from in the beginning. He's having to walk on the trouble that's creating the problem for the boat. There's more emphasis on the boat here than you might imagine. You say, why? Because Peter's counting on the boat to get him to the other side instead of the Lord to get him on the other side. What do you count on when your storms come? Your bank account? Your credit card? You count on the doctor or the lawyer. You count on your educational ability. Maybe it's your back because you're not afraid to work. I'm talking about a bad storm, like a Euroclidon kind of storm, right? What do you count on when it's like that? You ever pause to think for just a minute? The Lord is just maybe reminding you that whatever you're trusting in is not as good as trusting in Him. It's hard to turn loose, isn't it? Sure it is. It's hard to walk by faith and not by sight. Can I just tell you this? I've been doing this for a little while, and that part has never gotten easier. Now, I will tell you this. When my dad, when I was growing up as a little kid, we would get up on the roof. We didn't have these big, huge 412 pitches and 912 pitches and all this other kind of stuff with this real steep stuff. I mean, we had a regular pitched roof and all that. And we didn't have in those days blowers and all this special stuff and big, long extension ladders and all that. In my day, they had boys. And it was, come here, boy. And if you didn't like being called boy, then you don't like being called to supper because you were a boy. That's all you were. You were nothing but a boy. You're six foot three. You weigh 225 pounds. Boy, come here, boy. Right? I just thought that was my name. I didn't find out until I was 19 when I signed up for the police department. My name's actually David. I, did, I thought it was boy. Boy Peacock. I'm, I'm like, I must have been raised by Tarzan, you know. <laughs> Me boy, you Jane. I, okay, I'm boy. That's all I knew, you know. Come here, boy. And he put me up on the roof up there and clean out the gutters. And so we didn't have plastic bags to put stuff in and all that. You threw it down. Bad thing about it is then you had to rake it up. So, you know, but, but anyhow, you throw this stuff down. You get to the end of the thing. And he'd be there. My dad was a big man. And he'd reach up and he'd say, all right, come here, boy. Dad, I'm like 60 feet in the air. I mean, that's like, you know, at a young age, you have a different perspective of three feet. It's like 60 feet. I mean, that's a long way down there. <laughs> me trust you to catch me? Oh, whoa, no, I, I don't know. And you sit down and you scunch down to the side of the, the, the edge of the roof, you know, and you're got, my dad said, boy, if you snatch that gutter off that fascia, I'm going to wear you out. <laughs> He's trying to get you to turn loose of the gutter, and you're thinking, this is the end of the world. You're sitting there, literally your feet are like, he's right here, right? And your feet are like this close to his hands. And, and you're like, what's the problem? And you're holding on for dear life. And then finally, you kind of feel a little gentle tug on your foot, you know, and you come sliding off and he catches you. Well, after he did that a couple of times, we went to the back side of the roof and I crawled up there and I got all the stuff done. He said, all right, boy, come on, get down here. Now try not to let this ruin your supper, okay? 
I took off my shirt. That's disgusting enough. Somebody thought Shamu had gotten out of, you know, Greenpeace was calling. They've had an escape from SeaWorld. We're up in the mountains up there in Tennessee. I turned it around and I tied the little arms together and I put it in my teeth like that. Superman, right? He can fly. I needed a cape, so I just turned around and put it. And I back, yeah, you got it. <laughs> I backed all the way up to the top of that roof right up there at the pitch, you know. And I took off running. And I remember my dad, he's running, he's going, You idiot, you! And that was the last thing I remember right as he caught me. And then he sat me down and he said, Don't you ever do that again! You know what I said? Well, Dad, I knew you would catch me. Because you always did. There's a fine line between faith and stupidity, so don't get carried away with the story. <laughs> My dad happened to be like a professional athlete, so he had skills, right? But do you understand? Oftentimes what happens is, is the Lord will put you in situation that tests or tries your faith to increase your faith by the time he helps you with this, then he helps you with this. That's why what your pastor said earlier when he said, you know what, we just remember how the Lord's blessed us. All right, let's add to that. How many times has the Lord gotten you through? How many times in dire situations, horrible times? Listen, we have a tendency to make salient those things in our mind where the Lord, you know, didn't answer it the way we thought it should be answered. But in comparison, He's answered a whole lot more for us in the right way than He has in the wrong way. And we tend to forget those things, right? It's kind of like being married. Right? You're married. You never fix the commode. Yeah, but baby, I painted the wall and I fixed the fence and I did all these other things. I cooked the meals, ladies. I made the bed. I, I washed the clothes. Well, did you make my favorite chocolate chip cookies? No, you're fat. <laughs> I'm trying to help you in the name of Jesus. Right? But, but do you understand we have a tendency to kind of absorb the negative and not look at that? Do you ever pause for a minute? Man, you know something? I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Lord. I wouldn't be walking like they were singing if it wasn't for the Lord. I wouldn't be talking. I wouldn't have a mouth to complain about if it wasn't for the Lord. I mean, you know, the Lord has been good to me. It ain't always worked out how I think was good, but the Lord said all things work together for good. But guess what happens? We have a tendency to look at the times He did it, and that makes our faith very weak. And what it is is I look back and go, well, the Lord did get me through there and he did get me through there. Listen, when I decided to leave what I did previously and left at an inopportune time for everybody else, I need you to understand something. That wasn't a big giant leap of faith. That was after the Lord had taken me off the roof several times in several smaller things before he said, okay, jump. When I jumped, it wasn't as hard as people make it out to be. It was because the Lord had a history of catching me time and time and time and time and time again. And I figured, I came to the brilliant deduction, if he caught me all those times, he was probably going to catch me that time. Right? So it wasn't that hard. So here's what happens. They're in the midst of the sea. They're going to come walking by. Now watch. Get this picture in your mind. Black seas, lightning like laser show across there, thunder rolling like a thousand cannons. I mean, it's bad. And so Peter, he says, you have not because you ask not, right? Peter's going to try the spirit. He's a pretty spiritual fella. I think Peter's the one that cried out. That's just me personally because he's the one always talking. But you know what? He was the one always talking, but he was the only one walking. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. I can't do it like everybody else can do it. Oh, no, he didn't. 
But let me say this to you. Peter comes out there and he says boldly, brashly, Lord, if it be that, if it's you, bid me to come unto thee. And the Lord never hesitated. Come on, big boy. I can imagine Peter's face like, don't tell me Peter wasn't thinking, yeah, he's going to, he'll call me, he'll come get back in the boat with me and he's going to solve it how I want to. Don't tell me Peter wasn't trying to call him out. I don't believe you. I think Peter's human nature was, I'm going to go ahead and put him on the spot. He's going, okay, guys, I'll show it's me and I'll come over and get in the boat. Oh, no. He said, no, no. He said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. He said, okay, come on. Now, I don't know about you. Before I said that, I would say this. Lord, I will, but can you stop the storm first? Now we get into a debate. We get into sort of, we're, we're now going to, we're going to get into this contract negotiation. <laughs> okay, Lord, now wait a minute. I, I mean, I said, come on. Oh, okay, well, I'll come, but could you first maybe this wind, these waves, this lightning, this thunder. I mean, you know, I can hear the music in the background. Dun, dun. <laughs> you know it was there. Dun, 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 dun. If you haven't seen it, don't see it. You won't even take a bath. I have been on showers since the 60s whenever that thing came out. Oh, man, it's nothing but a mechanical shark and a bunch of movies. I don't care. I thought he was coming through the drain pipe. Come to me. Lord, stop the storm. Isn't that what we generally do when we're in trouble? Lord, could first thing before everything else, could you just stop the storm? And often, you know what happens to us? We forget the miracle is in the storm, not the stopping of the storm. You see, they're a lot younger in the first incident that happened in Mark 4. They're more immature, and the Lord stopped the storm because that's the first thing that immature baby Christians expect. Lord, just stop the storm. Everything will be okay. Just stop the storm. Just, oh my God, stop the storm. The wind howling and the waves crashing. Lord, just stop the storm. This time he's like, come to me. He's like, Lord, could you go? Are you going to do what you did before? No, I'm going to do it in an entirely different way. I'm going to let those thunder clouds go on and the rain come on down and the wind blow. Come on out of the boat, man. I'm like, if I was Peter, I'd be, uh, I think I'll just sit back down here. <laughs> just saying. But the Lord didn't do it. Here's the second thing I would say. Peter gets ready to get out of the boat. Are you going to tell me Peter wasn't holding on to that boat? Wouldn't you be? I remember the first time that my daddy was teaching me about swimming and stuff. And I learned to swim a little bit and this and that and the other. And I learned to swim in the shallow end. And you get tired of swimming. And then you stand up and then you swim and all that. And then he pitched me in the deep end. And every time I swam to him, he kept backing up. You know what he said to me? You're swimming. Stop panicking. I said, Daddy, Daddy, the water's deep. He said, you're swimming. Stop panicking. And then finally all of a sudden he said, it's the same water that was in the shallow end. And then I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Johnny Weissmiller, look, I mean, I'm like, you know, I mean, man, I, that's the old Tarzan. <laughs> oh, I am old. I don't even think you can Google that one. He's probably, you know, who was that? He was the old Tarzan. Okay, anyway. <laughs> 
But you know what we have a tendency to do in a storm? The Lord said, come to me. Lord, could you move a little closer? If he doesn't stop the storm, could you move a little closer? So as soon as I turn loose of this, I can, maybe what I could do is I could get a hold of you first before I turn loose of what I'm really counting on. You want me to really turn loose of where I've made my living, of what's kept me afloat, what I've been holding on to. You, you literally, you want me to turn loose of this and come to you? Yeah, he said to him, not walk on the sea. You know what he said? Come unto me. He said, come on. Now think about this for just a minute. Isn't that where we are now? Okay, the Lord's not going to stop the storm. And the Lord said, okay, why don't you turn loose of your boat? <laughs> it ain't always finances. Sometimes your boat is grief. Sometimes it's bitterness. Sometimes it's anger. Here's a good boat. Unforgiving spirit. Lord, I appreciate you forgiving me, but I ain't forgiving them. Why don't you turn loose of the boat? You want revival, but you won't get out of the boat. If you do get out of the boat, you know what? You, I can't, I, I, I can't turn loose of it. Preacher, what's he wanting you to do? Turn loose. You know what happens a lot of times? Our boat is like that battery cable. I watched the preacher today. He took us out to his house there to crank up Old Red or whatever it is. And first thing he had to do was hook the battery cable up so he could get the thing to turn over and all that kind of stuff. I know why he's doing that. Somewhere in there, there's a short that's draining that battery. And he doesn't have enough juice to be able to start the thing. So when he's done running it, because he doesn't run it all the time, he takes that off of there. But you know what happens with some of you? You hold on to the boat so much that you're grounded partly to the world and partly to the Lord and when it comes time that you need the power to walk on the trouble you know what happens the power is drained and you get ready to crank that engine and it goes or it goes and of course it's at 6 o'clock in the morning when you need to get to work because you're grounded you ever look at the apostles when they go to get the garden of Gethsemane the Lord has 11 apostles there. Judas is done cut out. And he's got 11 apostles that are with him. You know what he does? He takes eight of those boys and he says, sit you here. Do you know where they're sitting? They're sitting just inside the gate. Only Peter, James, and John wind up going into the, later on with him into the Gethsemane. Why are they at? They're like a typical Christian. They're just close enough to Jesus to see him praying over there, but they're just close to the world so they can get a little bit of the world and get a little bit of Jesus, and we can kind of hold on to them, and then they wonder why they don't have the power to cast out demons. I won't turn loose. I can't turn loose of that bitterness, preacher. It's my reason for not doing what I know I ought to be doing. i got good reason to not be serving the Lord and doing what I ought to be doing. I, I'm, I'm holding on. The Lord said, why don't you turn it loose? 
several years ago, we went up on the Okoe River and some class five rapids up there and stuff and some of the Olympic people train up there and different things like that. And it's a pretty, pretty gnarly sort of a, a situation. And we're not professional rafters. And my wife was with me and some folks and all from the church and all that. And we're coming down those rafts. And there's this one big spot there that you come, you make a big turn and you go way down and, and you, you come down and come around a rock and then you splash back up onto the other side. I mean, it's pretty cool to look at. And so we go down through that and you watch all these other people come down and it, it's kind of neat to watch other people going through that, you know, because it's kind of like, boy, yeah, oh, that's pretty bad. And then you, in your mind you're like, yeah, but when I came through it, it was worse than that, you know, and that kind of a deal. And my wife is on a cataract with this other lady. That's these two pontoons that are on either side, and she's out here on the outside, and they're on this two kayaks tied together with the long bars in between them. And the lady that's paddling the thing is like next to an Olympian. Olymp- I mean Olympian. She is phenomenal on that river. And the guy that we're with who's dead and gone now, he died in a car accident, but he was sitting there and he's saying to me, he's, he's right there in the back of the boat, and he said to me, he said, she's going to cut it too close, she's going to cut it too close. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you get too close to that, the water will shove you into the rock. And he said, because of what they're in, he said, that thing's going to flip over. And I said, okay. He goes, she's cutting it too close. She's cutting it. He's trying to holler. You can't hear over about white water and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, sure enough, they come, that thing gets stuck just for a momentary, just for a second, and then the next thing you know, here it goes. The water's pushing this side down, and it's causing another side. Well, Drina's on that other side, and she comes up, and I watch her, and she goes over that fall and lands into what they call the well. It's just bubbling, looks like a gigantic whirlpool. It is just going to beat the band. White foam and suds and all are coming out, and he said, she'll pop up here in a minute. Well, I'm looking for that little drowned water rat with this little yellow helmet on to come popping up, and I'm not seeing her come pop up. All of a sudden, she comes up spitting and sputtering like a motorboat that's running out of gas, man, and she's swimming and all, and she comes up, and she latches hold of the rock that's down there, man. I mean, her helmet's down, and she looks like a drowned rat, and she's holding on that thing. She's scared to death, and here comes a professional kayaker and says, you need to do this, and so on and so forth, and reaches out a paddle, reaches out her hand, reaches out a rope and all that kind of stuff. And Dick said, we got to go. I said, we can't paddle against the current. He said, no, we're going to go over there and we're going to run back up there. And I'm like, how'd you know I had an S on my chest? (laughs) I paddled and it wasn't long before I realized I don't have no S on my chest. My arms were burning. My lungs were burning, man. And she's up there holding on. He said, we got to get to her. She's going to have hypothermia. And then what will happen is is she'll eventually turn loose. And when she turns loose, she's going to come down and she's going to wind up way down there. So he sent some people down there to catch her body when it came out. And she's holding on to that thing like that. And people are coming by and they're telling her. They're saying, you've you got to turn loose of this to get a hold of it. She, mm. she wouldn't turn loose of nothing, man. And Dick said, you're going to have to go out and get her. I'm like, no problem, man. Now, I know you wouldn't have been that way, but I'm kind of like, hey, you know, I'm the guy, man. I'm, here I am to save the day. Mighty Dave is on the way, right? So I get up there, and Dick said, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to wait out there, and you're going to have to convince her to take this rope I'm going to throw to her. He said, she's not listening to anybody else. Well, I wait out ankle deep, you know, and the water's stinking cold, man. It's like 50 degrees. It is cold. And I'm thinking, it's not too bad. It's kind of like the passage in Ezekiel, you know. 
ankle deep, but there's more me out than there is in, so I'm not really affected much by the current. It's really not, I'm like, I, I got this, I'm good, you know. Hey, grab the rope when he throws it. I said, babe, you got to grab the rope. What does Dick say? You got to go out a little further. <sighs> so I go out and I'm about knee deep, just like the passage in Ezekiel. I'm about knee deep. And I can feel the current a little bit, but I still feel pretty stable, you know, and that kind of a thing. I tell her again, you got to grab the rope. Dick said, you got to go out further. By the time I got waist deep, I thought, oh, man, if he asks me to swim, we are in trouble. I made a decision right then. As soon as she gets hypothermia and turns loose, I'm just going to jump in with her, and we're going to drown together. That's, I just, I, 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 really, I didn't know what else to do. It's like, you, you got to go down trying. I mean, you're in a no-win, so you can't, like, just, like, watch her float by, and then, like, what did you do? You know, oh, I, I saved myself, you know. That's so non-heroic, you know, so I'm kind of like, I'm going down with a ship, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something, maybe I can hold on to her and we'll breathe our last breath together. I mean, you know, I, it is insanity. And Dick said, you got to go on out. I said, okay, man, I got up about right here. Whew, man, that water's cold. I'm thinking, yes, she is going to. Now it's, now it's really hitting me, man. Now I'm getting scared. And I said, honey, he's going to throw that rope to you. And you have got to grab that rope. Here comes the illustration with both hands. Because the current is so strong, you can't hold on to it with one hand and hold on to the rock. You're going to have to let go of what you're counting on to keep you from drowning. Well, he threw the rope, man. And I'll give it to her, boy. As soon as that rope came by, she was looking right at me. She lashed onto that thing like, you know how you can irritate a bass sometimes and you keep throwing that thing in there? And sometimes he's not hungry at all. He's just mad. And he just, she grabbed that thing, boy, and she got it like this. And I watched, and she's coming right at me at warp speed. <laughs> he's backing up the mountainside there like this, and it's causing her to come right. He's guiding her right at me, and I'm thinking, she's going to hit me. We're both going to drown. We're, we're going we're gonna to die. Well, what does idiot do? Pardon me, what does my wife do? <laughs> Who's drowning, poor thing, pitiful, terrible. What does she do? As soon as she gets close to me, she lets go of the rope. <laughs> and grabs a hold of me. <laughs> like a crab, she grabs a hold of me. Which for a few seconds was pretty cool. I'm kind of enjoying the moment. Then I'm like, we're going to drown. <laughs> She is wrapped onto me, I mean, tighter than after we got married the first time. I mean, she's just like, you know, she's holding onto me. She's, I'm like, baby, you got to let me be able to breathe, and I'm trying to back up. We finally get over there like a movie man. We fall onto the beach. <laughs> and I said, i got to ask you one question. She said, what? I said, what took you so long to pop up? And she started crying. She said, well, while I was under there, under the water, she said, I was worried what you would be thinking, so I was holding on to my wedding rings so that when you found me, you'd know that I had my wedding rings and I was thinking of you when I, I'm like, babe. <laughs> we can buy another ring. I can't buy another you. And, of course, everybody on the, oh, that's so sweet. And I'm kind of like, that's so stupid. 
but you know how she survived it? It wasn't just because there was people around that knew what they were doing that had abilities that we didn't know. It was because she turned loose of what she was depending on to help yes. her to get out of the storm. Yes. Peter turned loose. And he starts walking. But he made the same mistake that we made. All of a sudden, he gets a few feet away from the boat. And the Bible says no longer is he looking at the boat. He begins to look at his trouble. It's a miracle he's even walking on water. But now the miracle, watch this, it's no longer impressive. His trouble has eclipsed the miracle. He can't see what God's done in the storm. The trouble still overwhelms him. You ever had that kind of trouble? You ain't been living long if you haven't. And you don't see all the things God's allowed you to do in the past and then all of a sudden, man, that broken heart comes and your eyes being able to see things that you were never able to see before. And all of a sudden, you forget how good God's been to you and guess what happens? You start looking at the trouble again and you go down. If he was a good Baptist, you know what he'd say? I knew the second I trusted the Lord, he'd let me sink. But he did one thing that we do, and we're still guilty of today. He took his eyes off the Savior. Now Peter's at the end of himself. He's exasperated. He is flipping out. When he left the boat, he didn't have a plan B. What happens if? Nobody to throw him a rope, nobody to give him a life preserver, nothing. When he left... He had no plan B. You've got to admire his faith. But even though he didn't have a plan B, he still was susceptible to the storm that he was in. So he's going down. I don't paint it like a lot of people do. I don't think he's gradually sinking. I think he's sunk. I think he got a mouthful of salt water. I think he came back up spitting and sputtering and that kind of thing. I think the weight of those wet clothes was pulling him down, man. And he thought, man, I'm going down. And the exasperated Peter, you know what he does? He just sticks his hand up, the last ditch effort, his head's under the water now. And he reaches out there and he says, Lord, save me. And the Lord says, that's all I've been waiting on. For you to be the end of yourself, Pete. And he reaches down there and he grabs a hold of Peter by the hand, pulls him up on the water, and the Bible doesn't say what they did between then and when he got back in the boat. I think they went for a walk. The storm doesn't stop till they get back in the boat. I think they went for the walk. I think they're walking in a wave, fish goes by. Peter says, what in the cat hair is that? The Lord said that would be a hammerhead. Peter, I had something in mind when I made that thing. You're pretty hard-headed, aren't you, Peter? You know, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know what they did, but I think they spent some time in fellowship in the storm. I know they're playing your song, but just, it's okay. <laughs> they get back in the boat. They get to the other side, and amazingly, people have heard about the storm the apostles were in, and they come to find Jesus who helped them in the storm 
to help them in their storm. Well, crucifixion takes place. I'm almost done. Can you give me like maybe three or four minutes and we'll be done? Resurrections occurred. The Lord's been seen by above 500 and guess what Peter did? He messed up again. I'm going fishing. What are you going back to, Peter? Well, the Lord's gone now. I'm going back to the boat. I'm going back to what made me a living. I'm going back to take care of myself. I've not denied the Lord. I betrayed him. Who's going to want me anyway? I'm no good for nothing. I'm old, washed up, good for nothing sailor. I'm going fishing. And the others said, yes, too. And they're fishing and they fish all night. Now, don't, don't tell me what I'm fixing to tell you is not true because all of a sudden the Lord gets there the next morning and now the Lord's calling out from dry land, not from the stormy sea. You know what he says to him? Y'all caught anything? He's a southern Jesus. <laughs> they always ask you when you don't have nothing in the boat. You got a box full of fish, nobody cares. You hadn't killed nothing in the forest. They ask you all the time, did you kill anything? You can see there's no blood on me. No, I, but I'm going to kill you. Y'all caught anything? Peter grumbles under his breath, y'all caught anything? John said, you the big commercial fisherman, man. I guess we're going to have to make a living. What the cat here are we doing out here, man? And he, all of a sudden he says, hey, boys, you might want to consider throwing. And John said, oh, man, Peter. You know who that is? Peter's so out of fellowship with the guy that walked with him on the water. He's so out of fellowship. He don't even recognize him when he's calling him. You ever gotten that far out? The Lord's talking to you. He's like writing it in the sky. You can't hear him. You can't see it, man. I mean, it don't matter. It's right in front of your face. You can't even see it. You can't hear it. You got auditory exclusion. And Peter goes, it's who? It's the Lord. Now watch. Peter shells out. He don't walk on the water this time. Now he's got to swim in it. He shucks off his fishing coat and he jumps in the water and he goes swimming up there and he gets up on the beach. You know the story. He says, Peter, he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, yes, sir. He said, do you love me? More than these? Can't be the apostles. We know comparing yourself among yourselves is not wise. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to the fish. Peter, you love me more than these? You mean fish, Lord? <laughs> what does a fish know? They know enough to follow me, Peter. They know enough to jump in the net when I tell them to, Peter. They know enough to sacrifice their life for the benefit of somebody else, Peter. They know that if they die to themselves, they're feeding other people, Peter. I'm talking about feeding my lambs and feeding my sheep, Peter. Do you love me more than these? And Peter said, Lord, I do. And after the third time, you know what he says in that passage? <clears throat> he said, the Lord himself spake of how Peter should die. Why? He said, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted and you did what you wanted and you fought against it and you weren't going to betray me and this and that and the other. And he said, when you get old, they'll carry you where thou wouldn't because you're going to go willingly. Peter never forgot that lesson. He gets restored there. I like that. But the story doesn't stop there. By the time you get over to about Acts 3, I guess it is, 3 or 4 there, it's on the left-hand page, left-hand column of the page there. I can see that, but I can't remember it off the top of my head, and I don't want to go fishing through my notes right now, but let me finish this. They're going into the temple. 
and there's a boy out front and he's a crippled boy. I can't imagine how bad that must be to, to be a young boy and not be able to run and play and play ball and you're going to run away from your parents when you're trying to hide or whatever it might be, you know. But he looks up at these two boys, Pete and John, coming at him. And he says, hey, uh, can you help me out a little bit here? Crippled guy. And Peter looks down at him. He looks over at John. He said, winks at him. He said, I got this one. John said, okay. He said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. And the guy says, well, I mean, if you hadn't got monetary things, you know, like you take care of with fishing and stuff like that, what do you have that you can take care of me if you ain't got money to give me? I mean, and Pete says, well, you have to rely on something greater than money. And he reaches down there. And in my mind, he grabs a hold of that boy just like the Lord grabbed a hold of him. I think the Lord wrote a song that day. I mean, I think Pete wrote a song that day. I really do. I think Peter wrote this song. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea Heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I, but such as I have, give I unto thee. I think a grin comes on his face. I think he's reliving the time where the Lord restored him from drowning and reached down that hand and grabbed him. And immediately that boy's legs got under him and he got strength in his legs and he went running and hollering and stuff like that. And Peter says, you know something? If I had done that when you did it for me, I might not have gone back to fishing. Maybe if I'd have spent a little more time praising Maybe I wouldn't have got my eyes off of him again, even though it wasn't a storm. Okay, here's the message. Are you ready? I have no question in my mind you're in a storm. You've either come through one or you're going into one. That's what we all say. Storms are a part of life. Man is born under trouble. The sparks fly upwards. But besides Jesus, what are you holding on to? What are you trusting in? The Lord done something for you? Good. If he's gotten you through a storm, you know what you can do? You can help other people through a storm. That's 2 Corinthians 1 in, in the flesh. That's your pain enables you to be able to help other people when they're in the same pain because you've experienced that pain. You can't always help people clinically out of a book. You have to go, oh, no, I know what that means. We've had people in our church that have lost babies, and I know the verses, but I don't know the feeling. I mean, little babies born, lived to be one of them 28 days. Cutest little thing you've ever seen, Lucy, when she came out there and then they had to take all of her insides and put them on the outside and put an ECMO thing on there and all that kind of They did everything they could possibly We prayed, we fasted, we did everything you could possibly do and we had to bury Lucy. And I know the verses. But when another lady who had lost a baby came in, it trumped everything and she sat down and in a matter of moments... There was an immediate connection. She said, such as I have. I've been in that storm. He reached down and lifted me. I know what it's like. Oh, I, 
I couldn't touch that. I'm like, amen, sister. I get, amen. You help her out. Hey, preacher, you, I, no, ma'am, you. Now, listen, I'm going to turn it to your pastor. I wish that when you got saved, that all your storms in life were over. But I want you to understand two things, and I'm done. Number one, every storm is not because you did something wrong. And it is not God whooping you. You will find God to be more gracious and merciful than you ever deserve. And he will more likely than not let it pass rather than beat your hind in. Number two, most of the storms that you go through, God will use in order for you to help other people because the greatest minister that they have is someone they can see. There is nothing greater than for somebody that's been through it to be with you when you're going through it. And so God says, hey, I'm going to make you a minister and I'm going to take your trouble. But in order for you to be a minister, you have to turn loose of the boat. And it's not easy. You need God's grace to help you to let go and let God. Heavenly Father, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you do us a favor tonight? Once again, we beseech you, we search you, we're asking, we're begging you. The story that we've now seen of what Peter went through and how he had to turn loose in order to grab a hold of you, help us to understand that. Lord, these folks, there's no question, we've had a good meeting already. I mean, we could build three tabernacles and count out because you've been so good to us in the singing and the praying and all the fellowship. But Lord, tonight, there is no doubt that there is people are scared, they're frightened, they're hurting. They've come through just a couple of years ago, just a microscopic virus had everybody upset and worried and concerned. We lost so many people. And now in spite of being saved, addictions still come around and marriages still get broken up and children still go prodigal. The storms, Lord, it's very difficult sometimes to see you Sometimes we beg you to please stop the storm instead of walking on the storm. You realize our miracle is in the midst of that storm. Help those of us that have been through some storms be willing to help others that are in the storms. But Lord, I specifically pray for certain individuals here that have to take the step of faith and turn loose of whatever they're holding on to and grab a hold of you with both hands tonight. I know, Lord, if they'll reach for you, you'll put your loving arms around them and those nail-pierced hands will press them to your chest and you'll hold on to them and give them the security. But, Lord, they'll never know how that feels if they won't turn loose. Help them tonight, please, Lord, to trust you, not me, but to trust you. And we'd ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Can I encourage you to make an altar where you're at if you can't make it here? Now, if you're not going through something right now, he said it, he nailed it. He said you will be. (laughs) That's life. 
And maybe part of it is just determining before you get there. I'm willing to let go. I'll let go of the boat now. People tend to default to what they have created habitually over time. And if every time there's a storm, you turn to that person, you turn to that drug, you turn to that feeling, you turn to that whatever, and you don't ever let go of that, you'll find yourself years and years and years of your life that have passed by I hate to say it like this, but it oftentimes years wasted that God would have used you as an example to others of what He can do. Someone were to ask me, why do I love my church? I love seeing God work in the lives of people. I love that. The sickness, the loss of a loved one, do I enjoy watching that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But watching God put a smile on someone's face in the midst of that, watching God give someone power to fight through, I've watched some people that it just looks like, man, everything has come at them at one time. And they're still here. You know why? They learn to let go of some things. Love and hatred are powerful motivators. So is fear. It better be the right kind of love and the right kind of hatred and the right kind of fear. you'll find yourself stuck I always wondered about Peter in his last days what went through his mind and I I have to think walking on water would have to be one of those things and I think when he's younger maybe at least in the moment when he got out the boat and started walking I think in that moment he probably saw himself as the hero This is why it crashes. We all go through that. Years later, there's no mistake in his mind who the hero is. It's not Peter. It's the Lord. going to preach another message, but I I will say something I never thought about until this message was the fact that Peter had to let go. And then at the end of the passage, everyone's going to touch one thing. It's not the boat. It's the hem of Jesus' garment. 
the Lord is not letting you, telling you to let go just to let go of everything. It's to get you to something much better. You understand? That's the point. Hope you got something tonight. I did. I did. I never liked boats anyways. Now I really don't like them. Okay? <laughs> let's all stand. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. And You know what you ought to do? Just, just kind of let that stew for a little bit. Kind of let that stew for a little bit. Maybe go home and on your drive home, rather than turning the radio on, and rather than pulling your phone out and scrolling. Some of you drive an hour and a half. I, I've, I've got to think at some point you want to scroll. But, you know, maybe instead of doing that, maybe instead of doing that, just go, all right, what am I holding on to? Lord, what, 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 not just, and again, you got to get a hold of this. It's not just, I got to let go. I got to let go. It's, where's he trying to get me? And what does he want me to hold on to? See, you need to let go of the boat, not just so you can go, ah, free falling, you know. <laughs> it, it's so that you can hold on to Jesus Christ. Get something better. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. I, I, I don't know that I can say thank you enough the right way, but thank you for that. And thank you for being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's a real blessing. Uh, Brother Jeff, thanks for being here tonight and driving all the way from the Eastern Plains. Uh, Brother, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer tonight. And we will see you tomorrow night. For those that will be back with your churches tomorrow night, thank you for coming our way. All right. For those of you that have church on Thursday night, we love the fact that you're weird. <laughs> and amen. Amen. Uh, uh, but uh, all joking aside, it's, it is a blessing. Get, you know what I love about a, a real good meeting? No one's here trying to show anybody else up. We're just glad. You know, I don't, I don't look at any other church in this room and go, oh, but our singing is better. But our, but our building is better. But our, you don't need that. You know, I'm just going, I am so glad that we are. Look, is there anything? Look at this guy right here, Brother Hoogaloom. Do you think me and this guy would have anything in common if it wasn't for Jesus Christ? I mean, we don't even dress alike, man. <laughs> y- you know what it is? It's the Lord that brings us together. That is awesome. That's such a blessing. Brother Jeff, if you dismiss us, thank you guys so much for being here tonight. And uh, for our church family, we'll see you back again tomorrow night, 630. Ladies, if you would, one last time this week, bring those desserts back. We really appreciate it. Bring enough for you and someone else, and we'll have plenty for everybody. Brother, if you would dismiss us.